Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The ego's job is every single person's covert superpower. It is there to serve your greatest success and your highest purpose. It is an undercover positive force, not a negative force. If you can, therefore, identify your ego to transcend, you can achieve anything. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Today I am joined by a very special guest, someone who really changed my life in all honesty about 11 years ago, and that is the spiritual teacher Marcus Weston. He started his career quite differently in finance, number crunching for Goldman Sachs, and about 20 years ago realized his mission lied elsewhere. He wanted to support pioneering leaders to be better, to create real change this world desperately needs. Marcus teaches some of the most successful humans in the world, from business leaders to heads of state to sports athletes. He draws from the ancient wisdom of Kabbalah to help expand consciousness, challenge thinking patterns, and break open egos so that everyone can live the life they were meant to and deserve. What is a favorite quote you return to often and why? So the favorite quote I have is one that my teachers taught me, and it's really the secret to, I think, all happiness, all success, and, and motivation. And the quote is to always be fulfilled, but never satisfied. And that is quite a mental conundrum to wrap because it seems like such a contradiction. Right. Always fulfilled that you are every single second feeling the positivity of everything the universe can shower on you. But yet at the same time, without contradiction, a desire for more tomorrow. And I think that is the paradox of ultimate fulfillment is when you can embrace your desire to be truly fulfilled, the desire, the need, sometimes the lack to be truly fulfilled. I just want to pause there because I almost feel like that same quote is the reason why everyone is just so confused or frustrated because they think that it's satisfaction that they want and then get annoyed when they don't have it. Yeah, it's a funny thing, right? Because you could say fulfillment is the death of desire because sometimes when you're fulfilled, you're either satiated or it's never enough. Mm. And both have a ton of ego and chaos attached to it and lead you down pretty dark paths. 
And then there's questions of just kind of why. Why is there this gap between fulfillment and satisfaction? Yeah, and, and the answer, in, in short, you could say is the ego because it will sabotage that very marriage. Okay, we'll come on to that in, in a little <laughs> we're bit. Teasing, um, we're teasing it, yeah. <laughs> What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? So my, my father passed away in the very first round of COVID. And even though I've been practicing spiritual things and I teach consciousness mastery for, for over two decades, I was floored. I was floored and I was shocked how actually deep the rabbit hole goes. And someone came to me at some point and said, the present is, is very often truly painful, but the past is always perfect. And just that acknowledgement that, that whatever you're going through right now, at some point, and it might be a long way away, I guess that's up to us, but at some point you will look back and you will see somehow the collateral beauty of every issue, that even pain has unfortunately a perfection to it, that we often misconstrue life, we misinterpret every day's challenges. But if you can pause for a second, if you can somehow default into the knowledge that life is part of a perfect plan and identify why this is in my movie, then somehow you'll always be able to leverage success and light from even those kinds of darkest moments. That's really beautiful. And it's interesting, I guess, because especially from someone in your position, obviously, as you said, you've been teaching conscious mastery for nearly two decades. And then to be floored by an emotion, I, I can imagine there is this idea of, oh, well, no, I should have this. Like, I'm such an imposter. How did you navigate that? Well, I, I, it's interesting. You know, a long time ago, one of my teachers taught me, if you, you, I asked how to become psychic. <laughs> it was a bit of a, I was a very, very young, very kind of ambitious. And I said, how do you become psychic? How do you read people's minds? And my teacher, a very kind of famous uh, uh, master, a Kabbalist called Rav Burke, he said to me, just listen to every single person's words and you'll know their consciousness. Mm. And you said something really interesting in the question. You said that you were floored by your emotion not the event. And that's the truth. So if you default into reacting to events, then the question every day forever will be up and down, boom, bust. But really what's happening is you're flawed by your emotion, your interpretation of the event, that becomes your experience. And so when you identify that your experience is the emotion, the perception, then you have a chance to claw your way back up. If you're identifying by the event, perhaps you'll never get over such an event. Interesting. And how do you understand the soul? Because I guess this is, I mean, for you more than anyone, so central to your work. Yeah. Well, that's a big question. And I think it definitely walks into the question of, of, of who are we, you know, to know thyself. And one part, the positive energy intelligence of all of us, we, we call the soul. I think today, especially... The world has never been more separated by identity, by personality, by opinion. And so there's so little we have in common. We're thousands of different of shades of colors and creeds and, and, and shapes and sizes, yet we're somehow all cut from the same cloth. Mm. And that is what I call the soul. It's that unified form that each of us shares in common. It's almost the last thing we have in common. 
in a world that's so polarized and so extreme, going even further to the extreme, it's really the last hope almost that, that humanity has is to identify our soul and what unifies us in that internal form called our soul. Now, practically then, the soul becomes really what's unique about you and what is divine about you. Not that you have to believe in a higher power, but really what is so particular about you and your talents to express into this world for the sake of yourself and for others. Why do you think we are more divided now than arguably we've ever been? Well, we'll come back to this a thousand times, the ego. And really, that's the only answer. Because you can play the symptoms of ego called political issues, social issues, economic issues, Mm -hmm. financial issues, life standard issues. The ego and the consciousness of an individual is the cause of everything. And I would be even so extreme as to say the environment. I think Mother Nature is very much a reflection of collective personal natures. Mm. That's perhaps a little bit controversial, but it goes that far. I guess, okay, everything is ego. So then how do you understand the ego? Because when I first understood or heard the term ego, I assumed it was um, arrogance. Oh, they've got such a big ego. And actually at school, we were terrified to have an ego because you'd get bullied for it. It was anyone who thought they were too good, they have a huge ego. And as a consequence, they'd then get a lot of backlash for it. So, you know, we were taught to keep our heads low, look down, not even look people in the eyes, because that was seen as arrogant. I mean, it was a really strange environment, Hmm. actually reflecting on it now. But um, yeah, and then and then I first met you. And you were like, Oh, no, there's a completely different interpretation of the ego available. And here it is. I have become fascinated, borderline obsessed by the ego for the last 20-something years. And I've researched extensively all around the world, various conscious paths, various religious paths, various spiritual disciplines, to really identify what has been the original and the oldest, deepest references and the most informative references to the ego In my studies, and I'm sure there's much more to go, clearly the deepest and oldest references to the ego comes from a a wisdom called Kabbalah, which is 4,000 years old. And in it, the ego is described as something mind-blowing. So first of all, to frame it, because the soul, if you like, is our positive energy intelligence each of us have. And perhaps each of us is really defined by those two things, one part soul, one part ego. But the ego is then clearly the negative energy intelligence. And you could say it's the shell around the soul. It's not more powerful than the soul, but it is unquestionably a constant force of power. Now, as you say, someone with a small ego, that's no good because that person has little self-belief, little self-esteem, is perhaps considered powerless. And someone with a very great ego, well, that's no good either because you are arrogant, as you say, you're condescending, you're, you have a superiority complex, you're, you're conceited, you're all the other things that you could be. So whichever way you thread it, the ego has a rather negative rap in that its PR is, is that it's just a bad thing. The way the Kabbalists describe the ego is different. It's not a mental construct that is either to this or to that. 
It's a force of energy that lives inside each of us as an opponent of sorts that is literally, and this is, is taken as a quote, this isn't my idea, this is how 4,000 years ago the ego was described. It is literally training you to become stronger than it. The ego's job is every single person's covert superpower. Mm. It is there to serve your greatest success and your highest purpose. It is an undercover positive force, not a negative force. If you can, therefore, identify your ego to transcend, you can achieve anything. Because the light of any achievement is literally a success that throws a ladder to you. That's how the universe is structured. It's not random. I think that's the first point in the game of life is that if you consider yourself a victim to random things, mm. there's not much point to do anything actually because if anything's so random, then, then why bother work on yourself, right? Mm. But the first premise is that, that there is no coincidence. And if there's no coincidence, then you're not by coincidence and therefore nothing is by coincidence. And so every light of success throws you an achievement ladder and each rung on that achievement ladder is a force of ego to overcome. So for example, in a relationship, you might find that you're rather insecure. No, insecurity is not the sabotage of the relationship. Insecurity is a rung on the ladder that a successful energy is throwing at you to become more beautiful and more in love and more lovable in your relationship. Success, you might find that you have a commitment issue. No, it's not commitment is sabotaging you. No, the light of your success is throwing you a commitment challenge to transcend, to overcome, to lift you into the success that your brain wishes for. So the ego is your best friend. It's not your worst enemy. So you said an interesting word there, which is success. And I think that there is a lot of confusion, like the ego, there's confusion around that, but there's also confusion around success and desiring and thinking that it's appropriate to want more, to go up the ladder. I think, you know, in many other spiritual traditions, it almost is just teaching you the opposite, you know, want less, just be grateful for what you have. How do you balance that? And how do you understand success? For me, the old metric of success is very much an external metric, mm. right? In other words, it's shown by something society can see. You get married, you have kids, you make a ton of money and you find balance, right? Mm. They're, they're often the kind of the journeys of most people. You just kind of notch that up on your, on your belt. But the fact is, most people who are married are miserable. Most people who have kids are putting their hair out. Most people in wealth creation, it's never enough. And most people look at the balance is really a momentary escape. It's not true internal balance, right? So the external metric of success is flawed unless it's truly married to an internal tactical self-discovery journey. And that tactical self-discovery journey is going to build your insights to handle success. Now, that's a, a separate conversation. But one of the metrics that I feel which again sounds controversial based on some spiritual paths, that is around success and certainly in the attraction and retention of success is desire. 
Desire is not a dirty word. Desire is actually a very spiritual word, depending, of course, what you desire and for what purpose. If I desire to make a billion pounds for my personal endeavor and for my personal use, that's actually a small desire. If I desire to make a billion pounds because I can truly benefit society and give to the point where I can save people's lives, that's a big desire. So desire, the Kabbalists say, is really a vessel. It's your capacity to receive. And therefore, it's very important, but has to be framed correctly. How have we got ourselves in to this mess in the first place of, you know, let's go back to that point you uh, made about these external metrics of success, the, the kids, the marriage, the, you know, professional success, the money, the house, like, how have we got to a place where we are on a rat race, whether we like it or not, we are all on a rat race. How have we got there? Well, I think there's two factors. One is a laziness factor. I'll explain that in a second. And the second is, is really what society demands from you, right? Kind of post-war, I think there's been a, a mindset of survival mm. where you have to build at the expense of everything. You can't go home and spend five hours with the kids. You can't give to the relationship and having a daily date night. You, you need to go and survive and put bread on the table. And, you, you know, that's been the mindset perhaps post-war that now is obviously so rebelled against. What is the meaning? What's the value? What's the reason? Give me my why and all the rest of it. And that's valuable. That's important, by the way. And that's perhaps why this generation comes to correct the flaws of that generation, not to take away the achievements, but just to add to the depth within the achievement. So I think there is a, a kind of a society built on that external measurement, mm. perhaps by necessity in the beginning that man made ego consciousness, because we find that, that simply, and this is a kind of controversial point as well, but certainly when I teach in, in companies, in businesses, male teams are far greater egotistically driven than female teams. In fact, female leadership is one of the things that we speak an incredible lot about as a solution to leadership, both in corporate teams, but also globally. But, but that to one side, come back to the laziness point. I think the reason why we have and we maintain or prop up that external metric of success is just because it's far easier. And I think many of us would rather default into some external expression of being busied or keeping ourselves busy than have take five seconds out or 10 minutes out and sit in our own skin and actually wake up to what's going on inside of us, that's probably far more painful than working 20 hours a day. And so when I say lazy, I don't mean that it's unapplied. I mean, it's evasive lazy. We're, we're physically working. By the way, spiritually, you can be an incredibly lazy person and hyperactive at the same time because laziness means you're avoiding the things that you should be doing. You're replacing the idea of hard work with what should be happening, which is doing the work that's hard for you. That's where true achievement comes from. There's a big difference, right? Big difference. So most of us run away from the things that we should be doing internally into the things externally with all the excuses that society gives us and then complain 10 years, 20 years later why we feel a little empty or unfulfilled, having achieved so much. You have so many leaders calling you up 
all times of the day and night, usually in crisis. If you could talk to every 18-year-old, what would you tell them to help them maybe navigate their life differently to the leaders you are trying to help fix their crises 30 years later? One of the things we, we teach in companies is that companies can't change. People change. Everyone's trying to achieve something, and that's great. I'm all for desire and achievement. But there has to be, as I said, a marriage. And I think if you start off with those two questions, number one, what is my soul? What are my unique talents? Where are my passions? What am I extraordinary? Where am I special at? And by the way, if you don't know, meditation and reflection probably is not the appropriate choice. Jumping into the workforce, making a thousand mistakes, finding everything that doesn't work for you that you cannot stand is going to narrow the pathway to find the thing that you do love and can do beautifully and find value and be valued for, etc. That's one side. The second side is, is where is my ego? And what is my ego? And how is my ego playing tricks on me right now? That's really what metacognition is. It's the ability to see how your brain, your ego is constantly playing tricks on you. And I think if you are developing that internal journey from self-awareness, ego and soul, to self-discovery, wow, my ego, my soul, to self-mastery, where you get to every day see that every challenge is not about it, but it's about how something within you is being awakened to transcend and change. And that elevation of you, that lift of your conscious is the, is the revelation of all your success and value and happiness. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong if you're, if you're playing that internal game. But looking inward and understanding the real inner game of success is actually easier than confusing yourself with what the hell to do in life. So I, I would start there, definitely. Something you often say to me is, Poppy, is stop thinking, start doing. Why do you say that? I think what's interesting in life is, is there are no thou shoulds or thou should nots. If you know where your ego is, you know where to keep pushing against. If you're someone who is paralyzed by analysis, if you're someone who's very introspective, you're someone who's very perhaps momentarily lacking security and commerce, if you're someone who's very much in their own shell, then your default should be jump first, think later. Equally, by contrast, someone who is massively spontaneous, flies by the seat of their pants, hyperactive, can't sit still for a second, that person needs to pause, breathe, introspect before they act. Mm. So really, it's whatever is your ego, how to counter your ego, how to counter your nature's nature. Because when you counter your nature's nature, you're creating. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Creating such a transformation within, the universe will mirror and reflect that internal transformation as a breakthrough, as a miracle outside of you. So a miracle spiritually is not anything either that, that may or may not be God-given or something random. It's just quite logical. It's just the external expression of an internal, miraculous, extraordinary movement. So find yours, yes. And everyone's, everyone's different, clearly. Can you give us some more examples of different egos? Because I think that's really helpful in, again, just really highlighting this idea that that ego doesn't mean arrogance. To your point, like ego could mean someone who is the opposite of arrogant. And actually, that's something I've constantly having to re-understand as the years have gone by. So the ego plays you according to your success ladder, your happiness ladder. Everyone's rungs look different that represent their elevation in life. But I, I tell you what's funny. So I was teaching in New York for the last five years. I recently came back to London. And for me, teaching individuals and classes of people is so hilarious in, in the level of the ego. In New York, you can't shut people up, right? Everyone, <laughs> everyone comes to a class to teach, not to listen, <laughs> right? And so you come into England and, of course, 50 classes later, everyone's still completely and utterly shell-shocked and, and their eyes are looking. And so the fear of being judged in a typical classroom in England is different to the fear of shutting up <laughs> and, and learning something in, in New York. And, and both are beautiful. Fear is an interesting example of ego because most people have a fear or, or other. Some people say that they're, they're fearless. I always find some people, when they say they're fearless, it's actually their numbness is a fear to feel. It's not real fearlessness. What's interesting about fear is that we, we typically, we run away from fear. When something approaches that is fearful, we, we typically find some kind of evasive survival measure and we feel better for it. And this is the genius of the ego. You run away from the ego feeling free, yet because you've succumbed to the ego, you are now its greatest slave. And so you're more enslaved by the ego with the feeling of freedom. And so the ego is the sugar that constantly deceives us into short-term stupid choices. Why does a person get angry? We all get angry. Give me an example why you get angry. What would you say? When rules don't make sense and people stick to them, like right. at the airport. Yes. You know, I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. It makes no sense. Yeah, I was in the supermarket. The exactly the same situation <laughs> happened, yeah. Right. So things get us angry. And then normally we get this kind of this kind of very fiery response that makes us shut down and walk away and judge the person horribly or we explode. So that's kind of a very passive or a very aggressive response. 
And we feel better once we kind of, in that moment, I'm saying, we wouldn't do it otherwise. We're satiated by the ego to feel better, to express, to shout, to put the person down, to right their wrong. So what's happening again? What's the ego doing? The ego is making you feel the control of righting this wrong. This person's let you down. I feel so misunderstood. How could you have done this? We were fine before you. So now I'm back in control. I've shouted. I've put them in their place. They're responsible. They're the cause. They're the issue. But what's really going on? You've made yourself the, the victim, the effect of the event. So actually, you're less in control because you're reacting as a response, as a victim to the event, with the feeling of control as you explode. So the ego gives you the full sense of control whilst eroding from your soul any semblance of true control. Mm. And this is why we're all deceived and tricked and conned by the master of war called the ego all day every day. But the point isn't to be upset that you now see that you are so angry or you have a rage issue. The point is to know that one millimeter behind you identifying and overcoming your anger lives all the success that you pray for or wish for or desire. Could we go through an example of how the ego plays out with a people pleaser? Because I think this idea of like getting angry, we kind of all instinctively know we shouldn't get angry. You know, nothing is gained from that. But I find it fascinating when the ego plays out and these actions that are so called virtuous, you know, helping someone out. Isn't that lovely? What a good person. So where's the ego there? Well, a people pleaser suddenly becomes a doormat. They suddenly succumb themselves to the the importance of your opinion or of your view. The ego underneath that is you. They, they've lost who they are. They're diminished themselves to a point where their belief system says, "I am you," and that's dangerous. That's horrible because the second you identify as someone else, you're lost. And so when the universe says, "Well, I have happiness for you, and I have success for you, and I have I have good things for you." Actually, you've rendered yourself invisible. Mm. And at some point, when you wake up to the desire you have to be happier or more successful, things aren't going the way that you want them to because there's no way if you're doing everything on everyone else's terms, you'll be happy forever. There's no way. At some point when you wake up to say, what what on earth is going on? Where's my happiness? You've given in so much to the people-pleasing that you're invisible to the success that you desire. What are your thoughts and maybe where does the ego lie in in these situations when you're in relationships? Because that is obviously such a push and pull as to kind of when one should be holding boundaries, when one should be compromising. I think a lot of people assume that they're going to delay being in a relationship because they think that their success might be compromised by time given to somebody else. That's actually a massively growing trend. We had a neuroscientist on the podcast a few weeks ago who was saying how young people especially are actually saying they want to avoid love because they don't want it to get in the way of their studies. From an ego standpoint, what do you think about that? It's fraught with terrible, terrible issues because... The truth is, what you want happens. If you're planting the seed, I don't want, 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 I don't want. At some point, you will want. 
because the nature of, of every person spiritually, in the same way the nature of every particle quantumly is experienced and defined by its relation to something or someone else. At some point, person will naturally want a relationship. Well, you've built a fortress for 10 years that you won't let anything through, and now no one can find you again. It's fraught with issues. Now, one of the examples that I see a lot of work is when people say, what, in your opinion, is my next level professionally or successfully? Where can I go? How high can I climb? What's my next level? I won't give a statistic, but the majority of cases of leaders who I speak to, I would say the success they want at work is one at home. In other words, at work, they're just a given great product. They're only senior because there's something seriously good already about them. They're professional. They're consistent. They're reliable. They are talented. They're good at what they do. They've performed. They've got the results. They know what works for them. They're a given, they're a given product. Take them home to minefield. A horrible, beautiful minefield. And so often I take the corporate leaders I work with home. And that's where the real issues pop up. And that's where the fastest professional growth points come from. Because when you go home to this minefield, you will have the fastest change demanded from you. And if you resist that fast change demanded from you, you will have even faster change extracted from you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's beautiful. And so you can't separate this whole kind of movement of you know, work-life balance. There's no such thing. You take your boss home and you bring your partner to work. You have to become, as I say, self-aware, self-developed, and self-mastered to know that life is holistic and everything exists at once, and you've got to become a better person internally to handle all those branches externally. Otherwise, you'll have to steal from Peter to give to Paul. You'll take from your health to give to your work. You'll take from your work to give to your marriage. It's just not going to work. And so if you're someone listening, thinking to themselves, I don't have a holistic life. I have multiple parts broken. What would you advise? To build bridges. Everyone has islands. We have this island. We don't share with this person. We have different islands of friends. We have different islands of relationships, different islands of work, different islands that we can be different people to different people. Mm. And at the end of the day, we think it works because it helps us isolate and efficiently multitask. But when push comes to shove, all those islands create small vessels they create limited versions of us that we keep having to switch on and switch off. There's no internal growth. When you build bridges, all those islands create for you an empire. And then if you're doing your internal work, maybe you are that emperor that has the merit to run that bridged empire. You know, to a point like the ego is the shell of the soul. Why do you think we're protecting ourselves by separating ourselves? It's just really difficult to give all of us. Yeah. To be in a committed relationship with one person is probably the most difficult achievement of life. To give all of yourself forever to one person 
means that you have to give all of yourself. And most of us would rather give multiple bits of ourselves very often. But the truth is, you'll never get to give all of yourself. You might be giving 50% or 80% of yourself to multiple parts of your archipelago. But that last 20% is the miracle of life that you secretly desire. That's where everything works. That's where synchronicity happens. That's where miracles are the norm and chaos is the exception just to keep you alive and aware and appreciative. And most of us just don't want to get into that last 20% because we're so comfortable juggling in the lower 80. But it's worth stretching to, at least trying and dipping your toe in because once you realize the fruits of your labor are by far rewarded beyond, then suddenly the effort of that larger scale of you is worth it. There's a very old Kabbalist called Ravashlag. He says, does a carnivore chew a piece of steak and complain about how difficult it is to chew? No, they're enjoying the taste so much. The pain of chewing is negligible. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. If each of us could see the cause and effect of our lives, which the ego hides, if we could identify the true cause and effect of my effort and its reward, we'd love to work harder. We'd love to work much harder and much smarter. What would you say to people who almost at this moment in time do not have a choice as to the environment that they are in, whether that be their workplace, their work, their household, they are, for whatever reason, in an environment that is having a negative impact on how they feel. Yeah. How does one navigate into a higher state of consciousness when your environment pulls you down? One of the things which an old Kabbalah master called Rashlag says 100 years ago, he writes this. He says the most important thing that you will ever choose in your life is your environment. There is just nothing more important. If you play tennis and you're playing against someone better than you, your game will be lifted. Against someone worse than you, your game will diminish. Right? You could be the, the most extraordinary farmer with the most extraordinary crop. But if you're growing it in the wrong time of year or into the wrong soil, your environment, no fruits. So your environment is critical. Now, the question is, as you say, if people are in bad environments, what should they do? And, and, and the answer is, well, they're going to have to go inside again and, and ask questions like, why is this in my movie? Mm. Why have I previously chosen an environment where perhaps safety was sacred to me or comfort was sacred to me or protection was sacred to me. And that desire of what initially presented itself as comfortable or, or protective has culminated into this nightmare, but I get at least how and why I chose it. And therefore, right now I rechoose. I rechoose. And it might take time for the internal threads to find their way and that tapestry to weave itself back into your environment again. But you've got to start planting new seeds internally first. I just love that word, re-choose. It feels so liberating. I think sometimes we don't even allow ourselves that ability to re-choose or remind ourselves that we all have the opportunity to re-choose in different ways, even if they're not the most obvious. Why? Because the ego. Mm. Again, the ego is going to be... That, that counterpart that will not let you consider 
that you are re-choosing every single day, every thought, every word, and every action. And every single day you're planning whether it's 100,000 thoughts or 10,000 words and hundreds of actions, and each of those seeds are growing the tapestry in this world of cause and effect that you will bump into tomorrow and think is random or moan about that's actually been woven by your very desire. And so once that world and reality becomes visceral to you, then yes, you can re-choose anything. Is there any practical exercises that you suggest for people to really get to know their ego? Because as you said, it's incredibly deceptive. I think one of the simplest thoughts into a challenge is why would my success need this? Why would my happiness need this? Why is this at all in my movie? If life's part of a perfect plan, why is this for me advantageous possibly? purposeful, necessary? And the answer is always, well, it is showing you what a fear or an anger or insecurity or misuse of mouth or a judgment or a control or some internal ego. It's showing you some part of your inner self that's responding to this challenge. And the second that you have a view on why this is in my movie highlighting my blame issues, you can start to work. Because the second you attend to blame versus responsibility, the second you'll change what happens to you. Because it now doesn't need to happen to you. You've changed your destiny. Your Groundhog Day of a repetitive challenge has now been swept out the window because you've elevated yourself out of that need for that message or those messengers. Why is this in my movie? Such a good question. Another question, and this question was inspired by actually a dinner that I attended that you threw. And it was an extremely special dinner because at the end of the dinner, everybody had a secret question that they had to read out. Anyway, one of the questions I got, so I wanted to ask this back to you. Mm, revenge. <laughs> was what's the hardest lesson you had to unlearn? I think it's around independence. I grew up never feeling confident. In my early, early years, I'm saying, going through, you know, kind of zero to 12, maybe through teens as well, never feeling 100% secure. And then through my 20s, I found power and I found security and I found independence. And I found that there's extraordinary things that I could do by myself. And that was empowering. And that was my new bedrock, that no longer would I need anything or anyone ever again. And it was reinforced with compelling evidence of success and money and jobs and free will and travel and great lifestyle and wealth and friendships and relationships if I wanted and that kind of thing. So the universe evidenced that belief, independence, my independence. And I got married very late, almost at 40. And to unlearn independence and to learn in its place interdependence, not just was tremendously difficult, probably still is. <laughs> 
you know, really, as I said, to give all of yourself and to be able to receive all of someone else is a life quest. And I'm happy for the journey. I think some people sacrifice journeys because they're so desperate to arrive. But the journey is where there's real desire, there's experience, there's it's who you're becoming. When you arrive too fast, you're defined. It's quite depressing. There's a great expression also. It says, happiness is the effect of becoming the cause. And so the journey of sacrificing my independence for interdependence, that journey is the most fulfilling journey of my life and unquestionably was the most difficult thing to unlearn that I can think of being asked spontaneously. If you ask me in a week's time, the answer might be different, but that's what I think of right now. <laughs> Definitely a, a deep lesson. Thank you so much, Marcus. This has been truly thought-provoking. How best for people to learn more and get in contact if they have questions? So the two worlds that I am passionate about are, are business mastery and self-mastery. And business mastery, I run around the world teaching leadership teams, sports teams, all over the world, literally, live and in person, and obviously virtually. That's on consciousnessatwork.org. And we'll put this in the show notes too. Okay. And self-mastery, I just have not found a deeper pathway that's so easy to follow than Kabbalah. And so Kabbalah.com for me is the bedrock to support any external achievement in life. The ability to really find a consciousness mastery and ego transcendence, that's down the, the self-mastery pathway of Kabbalah.com. And you do teach courses, right? There is, I think there must be a course coming up or something or other that we maybe we can put in the show notes too. Yeah, there are always courses constantly online and now, thank goodness, back in person as well. And also, where are you on Instagram? I am Marcus Weston. Great. And again, we will put that in the show notes too, because Marcus often uploads deeply thought, expanding videos and content. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us on the Not Perfect podcast. Thank you. Lots of love, Bobby. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.